0: Today's reading comes from Jonah 1.17 to Jonah 2.10. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and all your bellows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped around my head. At the root of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O oh, Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came to you, and dear holy temple, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated.
1: Much. Excuse me. Well, good morning. How are we doing? For those of you that don't know me, my name is Josh Frather. I'm one of the elders here. It's always a privilege when I get the opportunity to preach. Let me uh, go through a few things with you, the outline, what I'm going to be going over, and then we'll jump into it. Um, So I'm going to start by giving us a little bit of the background of the biblical story. So where Jonah is at and his response to what God has asked him to do is nothing new. We're going to find out that this is embedded in each one of us, and that comes all the way back from the beginning in the biblical story, and I want to talk through that. I want to give us a little bit of context for our passage. If you haven't listened to Frank's sermon yet, he did an incredible job giving an introduction to Jonah and did an incredible job talking through Jonah chapter one. So if you weren't here last week, I would highly suggest you listen to the podcast. But I'm going to give a little bit of that just so we know where we're at if you've never read the book of Jonah and you're not familiar. We'll dive into our text, and I'm going to go verse by verse. And talk through uh, some things that we need to know from each one of those verses and what God's saying to us. And then in every text that you have, I think you always find that gospel thread. So um, as I work my way through the text, we're going to come to the gospel. And I think it's going to be very clear in my text. But trying to say, okay, how does this come to life in the life of Jesus? And what does that mean for us? Um, As God's people, he draws us to himself. We're going to talk a lot about God's presence. So... We come into God's presence in the gospel, but he always sends us out to love our neighbor. So that'll be next, talking through loving our neighbor, and then we'll end with talking about hope. In light of uh, the text that we're in, it seems pretty hopeless. So what hope do we have as God's people? And that's going to be it. So let me pray and we'll get started. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that uh, you would work powerfully. God, through your word, God, I pray that you would use me as your servant to speak your word and boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus. God, I pray that you would give me ears to hear and us in this room ears to hear as you're moving in us right now. God, the Holy Spirit dwells in your church, dwells in your people, so Holy Spirit, move in us. Jesus, be lifted up. In the name of Jesus, all God's people said, Amen. So, the biblical story. In our text, we find ourselves in a very interesting spot that is hard for us to really grapple with in the 21st century. We find a grown man in the belly of a fish. Really hard for us to think through, but really we have to ask the question how did he literally and metaphorically uh, sink so low? as to be in the place where he's in the belly of a fish. And the answer to that we find in Genesis 1 and 2, because it's in Adam and Eve, and it's in each one of our hearts. Adam and Eve are called, and I want you to hear that. They hear God's voice, and they're called by God to be fruitful, to multiply, to care for God's creation, plant a garden, make something of the world. Um, However, in doing this, they have to hear God's voice, and they have to obey God's voice. What God asks them to do, they have to be obedient in doing it. And sadly, uh, they don't do this. And the punishment for not being obedient to God's voice and hearing God's voice and what God has called them to do is being cast away, in a sense, from God's presence. Now, we're going to talk through. God is everywhere, omnipresent. So never be fully cast away. But the fellowship, the intimacy. The oneness that we get when we obey God's voice is separated now with Adam and Eve. So they're cast out of the garden, if you remember the story, and things continue to get worse, and they go down, down, and down, because we find that joy and life is found in God's presence, and away from God's presence is death and decay. So Jonah, now the context for our passage, Jonah like Adam and Eve, does not obey God's voice and tries to flee from God's presence. And just like Adam and Eve, things get worse for Jonah. Jonah tries to go down to Joppa. Then Jonah tries to go down into the bottom of the boat. Then Jonah eventually goes down into the ocean. And now Jonah has sunk so low in trying to flee from God's presence that he finds himself in the belly of a fish after attempting suicide. So you have to think how much Jonah really hated the Assyrians and did not want to share good news with them to commit suicide. He would rather commit suicide and kill himself than go to the Assyrians and tell them of God's love. And if you listen to Frank's sermon last week, there's good reason for that. The Assyrians were terrible people. If you just do a Google search of like the ways they used to torture the people they they captured, horrendous, horrendous. But there's a soft spot. In God's heart for the Assyrians, for the worst of the worst, the most wretched, as the early reformers used to say. God has a special place in his heart for those people. And thankfully for you and I and for Jonah, he's got a special place in his heart for the real idiots, for the morons out there, you know, that just don't like to obey. They don't like to hear God's voice and obey what God is asking them to do. God has a special place in his heart. For those people as well. So let's get to our text, and uh, let's hear how Jonah responds to being in the belly of the fish. So verse 17, I'm going to talk about the fish just for a little bit. Um, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So I want to deal with the fish just for a little bit, and then we're going to circle back around towards the end when the fish spits him out onto dry land, and talk about what I believe is the most important aspect. So just a few things about the fish. First, we as leaders and as Redemption Church would land on the fish being real, and we have pretty strong convictions on that. And I'm going to get to why there's a strong conviction on that towards the end. But also, we have to realize that the fish is not the central piece of the story. So if you're here and you're wanting to just hear all about the fish, talk to me about the fish. I can't wait to hear about this fish you're going to be sorely disappointed by my sermon because the fish is not central, so it's not going to be central to my sermon. So that's number one. Second, the fish is not merely a personal experience for Jonah, but represents the woes for all God's Old Testament people. The great beast would have been seen by God's people as Babylon. So when they rebel when they don't listen to God's voice, God raises up an evil empire and the great beast, the great fish in this story, comes after God's people and the sea represents chaos. So as God's people are hearing this story, they're thinking about Babylon being raised up, they're thinking about the sea and being chaotic and this is what happens when God speaks and we do not obey. And then lastly, the fish is not just an evil beast, although it can be seen that way, But the fish is also really God's grace. Jonah would rather die than proclaim good news to Nineveh. But God is gracious. And he's gracious enough to save him even though he doesn't want it. Jonah didn't hurl himself into the sea thinking that God would send a fish to swallow him up and be gracious and save him. No. Jonah threw himself into the sea to kill himself. But God is gracious. And the fish represents God's grace. Let's continue. Verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. And Jonah's about to share a great Hebrew poem, and poetry comes from our bowels, right? When, we, when you think of the most beautiful poetry, it's usually not an intellectual endeavor. It's from the heart. It's from the guts, right? And so you have this beautiful poem that will arise from that, or you have this depressing poem that will arise from that. And sadly, in Jonah's situation, for Jonah to really cry out to God from his bowels, as, he, as we all need to, because God knows if it's genuine. He knows if your prayer is just intellectual, or if he knows, he knows if your prayer is from the heart. But this prayer is really from the heart, from Jonah. But in Jonah's case, God had to take him into the bowels of the fish before he would really cry out from his own bowels. And if we think about our own stories, a lot of us, have been taken to the bowels of the fish before we actually talk to God and get real with God the way that we need to. Verse 2, saying, I called out to the Lord out of, my, out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. I want to pause here, and I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about Sheol first, and then I want, I want to talk about repentance. And first was Sheol it's fascinating how Jonah says, I'm swallowed by a fish. We recognize Jonah swallowed by a fish, but then he says, now he's not in the belly of a fish, he's in the belly of Sheol. So what is Sheol? Sheol shows up more than 60 times in the Old Testament. And Sheol, or grave, was a place that all went when they die, and was a place of unconscious death, darkness, and nothingness. So. The belly of the fish for Jonah acts as a sort of tomb, and that word's going to be important as we carry forward and get to the gospel. But this acts as Sheol, this tomb for Jonah, he does not think he's going to make it. He thinks he's going to die, and he's going to die right there in the belly of the fish. But it's not just a place. Sheol actually becomes our posture towards God. And we really start to see this in the New Testament when we get to how Jesus describes hell. It's a little different in our text, but Jesus makes it clear. And Jonah, I think, makes it clear as well. Because the kingdom of God is great, not just because of the buildings. We think when God's kingdom is established on earth as it is in heaven, we long for that day. We're going to talk about that when we get to hope. But it's not just beautiful because the buildings are great. And it's not just beautiful because health is restored, although I want that. Anybody that comes to us that's sick and hurting, their relationships are broken, their health is broken. We long for the kingdom to come again, for health and wholeness to be restored. But what's most beautiful about God's kingdom? It's God Himself. It's the fact that when God comes again, we actually get to dwell in God's presence in fullness. And disobedience takes us further away from His presence. An existence away from the presence of God is hell. I'm going to say that again. An existence away from the presence of God or distancing ourselves from God, not craving intimacy with him, is hell. And Jonah um, is in the grave and nothingness. And this is the Old Testament vision of death, this nothingness. Um, in, a biblical, in the biblical story, what we see is we truly, not God, but we truly are the authors of death, the grave, and hell. The destructive powers of hell are unleashed through our disobedience. And when people are disobedience and walk away from God, they move closer to hell and they find themselves, just like Jonah, in hellish circumstances. The disobedience that's within our hearts when we walk away from God, we unleash hell into God's creation and we actually create hell for ourselves. And that's what we see in Jonah. God is love and salvation. And as we draw close to him, we start to embody these things and we actually become these things, right? We start to exude love and compassion because we draw close to God. But if we want nothing to do with God, we move towards destruction and God hands us over to our desires, Let me just give you a scenario. If a man kindly asks you, if you're a woman in the room and a man kindly asks you to go to a movie and you say, hey, no, thank you. I'm not interested in you. No, thanks. That's a very kind gesture. Um, You would expect for that man to let you go and say, okay, I've asked a request of you. You've said no, so I'm going to let you go. But what if the man handcuffed himself to you and said, you're going to the movie whether you like it or not? We would say creepy, stalker. Kidnap these are the words that come to mind, not compassion, not loving, so it 's the same exact thing that we see with Jonah that God, in his kindness, because Jonah wants to rebel, Jonah wants to walk away, he does not want to listen to god 's voice, and God is not going to coerce him to do what he wants he 's going to allow Jonah to create hell for himself and walk away from god 's presence. Josh Butler calls this the mercy of hell giving people over to exactly what they want and what do these people want if you don't want to crave intimacy with god then you're rebelling you're walking away from god and you're moving towards hell and god mercifully allows people to walk away from them blaming the cruelty of hell or sheol on god is like blaming jonah's circumstances on god those don't belong to god they belong to jonah And my sense is, if you're in Sheol right now, uh, those circumstances probably belong to you. And owning that is challenging, but that's what the Bible would tell us to do. Here's what Tim Keller has to say about it. Hell, then, is the trajectory of a soul living a self-absorbed, self-centered life, going on and on forever. In short, hell is simply one's Freely chosen identity apart from God on a trajectory towards infinity, nothingness, and distance from God's presence. But Jonah is on this path; he's created this for himself. But God is gracious, swallows him, and Jonah decides to repent. Repentance is a journey. And here's what I want us to know about repentance: repentance is a journey, and it's not always a straight path. Uh, here's what Martin Luther says about repentance. Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ will that the entire life of believers be one of repentance. And why is this so important? Because you're going to reflect back, if you hang with us and you come the next few weeks, you're going to reflect back when we get to chapter 4 and say, I thought Jonah repented. I thought Jonah was uh, sorrowful for the way he looked at the Ninevites. And then you see him in chapter 4 and you ask the question, did he really even repent? You look at his sermon. And you say, does he really even care? And what you start to, to see is repentance isn't just a moment, but it's a hundred moments in the life of a believer that we always are coming back to God and saying, God, I desperately need you to save me. I need you to save me from my circumstance. I need you to save me from my sins. I need you to save me from the Sheol, the hell that I've created around my life. It's not just the time you come to salvation. And for Jonah, I think this is genuine repentance I would believe in Jonah's life. But he just like all of us need to constantly come back to God. And there's a few things you learn about the way he repents. First is that it's genuine. You can't manufacture repentance. You know, sometimes one of my most prominent prayers is, God, I pray that I will want to want. Like I want to repent, but I don't really want to repent. And God will watch us walk away, walk away, walk away, but he's gracious, and if you belong to him, he'll snatch you up, just like he did with Jonah, until you come to your senses, and he does that with each one of us, but it's genuine, it's genuine repentance, and the second thing we see is that it's undeserving. It's undeserving, and Jonah completely recognizes he does not deserve God's grace. Jonah knows that he has done wrong, recognizing the fish, as God's mercy and unmerited favor. He deserves sheol and death, and he knows this because he's disobeyed God's voice, and he knows he does not deserve this. And another thing about repentance is repentance, when you come to this place where you recognize you're in desperate need of God's mercy, it's not, you know, God, um, I've done a few things wrong, but overall, I think I'm on the right track. That's not repentance, (laughs) Repentance is where you see that, God, I've done a few bad things or I've disobeyed your voice, but in light of God's beauty, in light of God's holiness, God brings you into his presence, you're overwhelmed. And then that sin that you were looking at as minor starts to overwhelm you and you start to recognize you're completely undeserving of God's grace, of God's favor, of God's love towards you. But God is gracious and he bestows it on you. But it's not light and it's not minor. When we truly repent and turn towards the Lord. Verse 3. For you cast me into the deep. Into the heart of the seas. And the flood surrounded me. All the waves and your billows. They passed over me. Pause there. I think it's fascinating that uh, we see in chapter 1. That the sailors are the ones that cast Jonah into the sea. Right? But here it says you cast me. Into the sea. So, what Jonah's starting to recognize is God's hand in everything. This can create, I'm not going to go down that path, a great conversation around God's sovereignty and man's free will, but really what we see is that Jonah recognized that God's hand is in all of it. That God has not departed from him, but God's hand is in all the mess and in all that's happened in Jonah's life. God is with him. Verse 4 Then I say, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Now, we've talked about being in God's presence a little bit, but I want to just go a little deeper into that um, because Jonah makes it very clear that this is what he's trying to get away from. He does not want to be in God's presence, and he goes to its ex- extreme lengths to get away from it. In chapter 1, uh, verse 3, says, away from the presence of the Lord. In verse 10 of chapter 1, he says, fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And in our passage, he says, I am driven away from your sight. I do not want to be in your presence, driven away from your sight. Yet I again shall look upon your holy temple. So now he's turning his eyes back towards God, and he's recognizing that a life without God's eyes on us is terrifying to think about. And the temple represents God's presence dwelling in our midst. That's why Jesus says that he tabernacled amongst us. He came and he dwelled with us. Emmanuel, God with us. And that's what the temple represents. So when Jonah is turning his eyes back towards the temple, what he's saying is, God, I'm, I'm turning my eyes back towards you. Recognizing that a life without your eyes on me is absolutely terrifying. When you choose to, when you choose to run away from God's voice then we're choosing to run away from God's presence. And parents, I think, know this. Uh, in, parents know this. It's very easy to understand. Because kids, a lot of times a parent will say, hey, I need you to obey. I need you to do this. I need you to do that. Hey, I need you to not do this. And how many times have you seen a kid push away the parent and say, yeah, and they get that like nasty look, Nya. You know, and they just push them away. Why? Because presence is connected to voice. They don't like what they're saying, so therefore, I don't want to be in your presence, because I don't like what you're telling me to do, so I need you to go away, but, and I'm about to say something that's a little controversial, because I know timeouts in our context can be a little controversial, okay, I'm just prefacing, but I think that Jonah is kind of right now in a three-day, three-night timeout in some regard. Because he said, God, I don't want to be in your presence. And just like a parent, sometimes will pick up the kid and say, okay, you don't need to be in my presence. I'm always with you. I'm just outside the door. You can hear my voice, but you're not going to be able to dwell in my presence. We're about to have ice cream. You missed out. <laughs> Bummer. You missed out. So here, sit you down in your room, out of my presence. I'm with you. I'm right here, but I'm just outside of the room. So Jonah is on a three-day, three-night timeout away from God's presence. But What we recognize is God is always with. God's always with Jonah. God's always for Jonah. But Jonah wanted to run away. And just like a kid, a parent's gracious and says, if you don't want to be in my presence for a little bit, it's okay, you go in your room. Or you go somewhere where it's not fun and sit right there and you can be out of my presence. But God does not leave just like a um, good parent never leaves. And for Christians, it's important for us to remember that Jonah tries to flee from the presence of God, but that's impossible because God is everywhere. And God is always with Jonah, and God is always with you. If you've submitted your life to Jesus, God is for you, and God is with you. The question is, are you for him? The question is not whether God is with you or for you. The question is whether or not you're turning towards God and saying, I want to be in your presence. I want to delight in your presence. I want to fellowship with you. Because if you do not do that, life will only get worse. But let's just read about how God's always with us. Psalm 139, 7 through 12. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, in Jonah's case, even there your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for the darkness is as light with you. God is always with you. God is always for you. If you're a follower of Jesus, are you for God, and are you dwelling and delighting in his presence? Verse, four th- or verse five through six, carry on with me. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed up upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O oh, Lord, my God. And I love the poetic language. This is speaking from the bows, right? Speaking from the heart and what comes out. You come this beautiful mix of metaphor and literal language. He literally has the deep surrounding him and feels metaphorically like the bars of Sheol are going to close him in forever. And this once again, sadly, but truly is the place where repentance and true repentance is born for the life of a believer. This is where we meet God. Remember that Jonah said that God threw him into the deep, and here he is saying that God is saving him from the deep. Tom Schrader used to have a saying, and he'd say that we are saved from God, we are saved by God, and we are saved for God. In our text, what we see is we are saved from God, we are saved by God, and then in chapter 3, we're going to see that we're saved for God's purposes. Verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came up to you into your holy temple. I just want to say again, God, only, God hears r- real prayer. Don't try to manufacture it. Cry out to God, whatever you got inside of you, whatever you got in your heart. It doesn't need to be pretty, but if you find yourself in Sheol and God has allowed you To be in that place, cry out to Him and don't try to manufacture it because God knows. And God sometimes has to bring us to that place or allow us to walk into that place before we repent and we turn to Him. Verse 8: Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope in steadfast love. There's a great progression in this poem because when you turn and you stare at God and you come back into His presence, A few things will happen, and one of them is that you recognize that there's delight in God's presence, there's joy in in God's presence, but God will always turn you back out towards your neighbor. There's no coming to God and just staying where you are. In chapter three, we'll talk more about it, but I'm sure that Jonah would have probably liked to come back into God's presence, be spit back out on the shore, and just go about his life, and just go back to the life he was living, but God says, no. I have a purpose for you. And that's what we see in verse 8, that he's moving in that direction. And steadfast love can only be found as we worship the one true God. We cannot find steadfast love that is unwavering anywhere else but in God. Verse 9, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to you. To the Lord. You know, Jonah actually never says he's sorry in this poem, but we see here with thanksgiving and with praise, we see a heart that is turned back towards God and wants to delight again in God's presence. And he recognizes that salvation is God's property. Any salvation, whether it's a circumstance, whether it's a soul, all of it, anytime there's salvation, whether it's a doctor that's saving and tries to take the credit for it, or whether it's a pastor that tries to take credit for a soul. It all belongs to God. Salvation alone belongs to God. It's his property. We're going to talk more about that next week. But Jonah sees this, that any salvation belongs to God. And then verse 10, the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land. The creation obeys God's voice. Let's remember that. The creation obeys God's voice. And then coming back to the fish, circling back around, I said we'd get there. So now, Jonah's back out on the shore. We come back to the fish. Now, why does the fish have to be literal? Because Jonah literally and physically, literally and physically, resurrected from the belly of the fish, and Jesus literally, physically, and spiritually resurrected from the tomb. It's a real fish, because the tomb is real, which leads us into the gospel. Let me read from Matthew 12, 38 through 42. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. But behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And Jesus, of course, referring to himself. Tim Keller says this about the resurrection. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. And remember that Jesus said that the prophets were speaking of him. Jonah is really pointing to Jesus. You have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he has to say? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. If Jesus is resurrected and Lord of the world, then we need to hear his voice and obey his voice. If you believe that Jesus is resurrected from the dead physically, a man was dead in the ground for three days, and rose from the grave, just like Jonah in some regard, then he deserves our full submission and obedience. And let me just come back to the idiots and morons. It's a great passage for (laughs) idiots and morons. You know, I see myself in this passage a lot because um, my life is plagued with creating circumstances that God was so desperate to keep me out of, but you keep walking away. God's trying to speak to you. God's trying to tell you to obey. But what do you do? You walk in the other direction. Well, just like me, if you resonate with that at all, there's good news for you. That, As I said before at the very beginning, God's got a special place in his heart for the people that do not want to obey his voice, his people that constantly want, want to rebel, God is gracious. He is merciful. As Frank said in his sermon last week, we have a propensity towards rebellion. It's in us from Adam and Eve. Even though we are children of God, if you submitted your life to Jesus and you would call yourself God's child, there is still this propensity to walk away and to not obey God's voice, especially when he's calling you into something hard, which he was with Jonah. Very, very challenging call very challenging. But still, God has a special place in his heart from that. And what I would encourage you to do is cry out to God. Call out to God. No matter how many times you've done it. My goodness, if you talk to older believers in the room, you get in these patterns of sin and disobedience where you feel like you can never break the cycle, right? Right? You feel like you can never break the cycle. You constantly disobey. You constantly disobey. God's telling you to do something. You don't listen. You walk in the other direction, and you're constantly doing it. And every time, God is gracious. God is gracious. So even if you have asked him a thousand times to forgive you, ask him one more time. Cry out to him and say, God, I have brought myself back to Sheol, and I need you to save me. And God is gracious to do that. But, as I said before, He doesn't just save us to delight in His presence, although He does do that. God saves us for a purpose. And this leads to us loving our neighbor. Frank also talked about this last week, that one of the sub-themes for the book of Jonah is our reluctance to love our neighbor, or I think he said our reluctance to do mission and to share the good news of Jesus. And the story of Jonah is not the model to live by. Let's be honest. It's a great human story because of the humanity, and it's so real because all of us say, man, God's asked me to do this, and I haven't listened, you know? So we can all connect with it, but I think it's also good if we have a story of someone that heard God's voice, obeyed God's voice, and you see God do incredible things. And what I think of, I just sat down with them last week. I think of a pastor in the valley named Asfaw Bekele. And Asfaw is pastor of El Bethel Missionary Baptist Church in Phoenix, but He's originally from Yabelo, Ethiopia, and as a pastor here in the U.S., after he moved to the U.S., he could sense God calling him to share the good news with those that haven't heard. He had this deep sense, and he wanted to go back to Yabelo, but he had it in his gut that God was calling him to do this. And then as he was reading God's Word, you can't get too far in God's Word before you start to hear his heart for the lost, before you start to hear his heart for the nations. It's all over God's Word, and this is speaking to him. So he calls his elders together and says, we need to pray. So they go up onto the top of a mountain in Phoenix. They pray all night, and God gives them all a vision and says, it's not Yabelo; it's Barona and the south of Ethiopia. So all of them come together and say, God spoke to us, and we need to obey. And if you know anything about Ethiopia, the south of Ethiopia is right next to Somalia, and Somalia is almost completely Muslim. Very, 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 very few disciples. So the south of Ethiopia is like that as well. Very few disciples in the south of Ethiopia. That's where they sensed that God was calling them. So they raised up leaders. They sent those leaders. And in just a few years, they've seen 87 churches planted. And every single, hear this, every single pastor that's leading one of those churches is a convert from their ministry that came to saving faith through their ministry. Is that to praise them? Absolutely not. It's to praise God because they heard God's voice and they obeyed God's voice. And God wants to do wonderful things through the life of his people if they just hear and obey. Now, for some of us, maybe as I share that story, you think, man, God's calling me to the nations. God's calling me to those that have never heard, and I want to do that. But my sense is that's not, that's probably not what it is. My sense is you're thinking about a coworker that doesn't know Jesus. You're thinking about a son or a daughter who hasn't submitted their lives to Jesus. You're thinking about a spouse who hasn't given themselves to Jesus. You're thinking about a neighbor next door to you, and some of these people may be friends, some of these people may be enemies, but God has brought them to mind, and maybe that's God speaking to you. I'm not God, but I do know that God speaks. As he spoke to Pastor Asphal and El Bethel Missionary Baptist Church, he can speak to you. So here's what I want to do, and this is going to be a bit challenging. We don't do this very often, a moment like this. I'm going to leave just a couple minutes, and I want us to pray. But before we do that, here's what I'm going to ask is, the person that just came to mind, as I share and I talk about the lost, and I talk about your neighbor, your spouse, your child, your next-door neighbor, I want you to just take a couple minutes and just a moment, I want you to pray for that person. I want to pray that God would use you to share good news with that person, that you would be bold. Because most of us aren't evangelists. I'm not a gifted evangelist. I'm, I'm honest. I'm being honest. Evangelism is hard for me. But I know if you're a follower of Jesus, there's no question that God wants you to share your faith. It's just with whom that God wants you to share your faith. So who is God calling you to share your faith with? So I want you to pray. Or if God didn't speak to you and you say, nobody comes to mind, just ask. Ask God to give someone to you. That is a prayer, trust me, that is a prayer God would love to answer. That he give you a group He give you a family Or he give you a person That you can share good news with And the third option is You're not a Christian This is about to get weird And you can just take a moment Right where you're at And just take a moment of silence Okay Not a follower of Jesus then you say Hey I'm just going to take a moment of silence And just sit there But I'm going to sit right here I'm going to pray as well For someone that God has brought to mind for me And then I'm going to step back up And I'm going to continue on And we're almost done Okay So pray where you're at for just a couple minutes, and then I'll come back up and I'll lead us. Father, I pray over each person that's been prayed for here or if nobody or no family or no group or no nation comes to mind, God, I pray that you would speak. God, as you spoke to Jonah, as you spoke to Pastor Asphal, I pray that you would speak to us. God, I pray for boldness in sharing our faith. God, and I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that it wouldn't be us, but it would be you. In the name of Jesus, amen. So the last thing I want to talk about, and then we're done, is is hope, because this message brings about a lot of questions. Um, One, rebelling against God and finding yourself in the grave is never fun, and we want this to end, and sometimes addictions, sometimes sinful patterns of life become so hard to break, you just long to be liberated from this bondage to sin. As Paul cries out, God, liberate me one day. Jesus is coming back and we will be fully liberated. Man, I long for that day. And also, we think about those that don't know Jesus and God, we pray. We think, God, I want your presence to be fully revealed in this creation because this creation is broken and sinful people do sinful things. And one day, Jesus is coming again and we can hope and long for that day. So let me pray for us as we end as we hope and long for the day when Jesus comes again, rids us of our sin, and heals his creation. Pray with me. God, in the name of Jesus, God, I pray that you would come again. God, heal us. Come again and heal our hearts, heal our minds. God, the wicked things that we think about, the disobedient hearts, God, that want to rebel and walk away from your call. God, the sins that we continue to battle against that lead us into places of hell. God, come again. Make things new, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.